Good morning, Centerway Church. I'm Eric. I'm so happy to be welcoming you. Hello to everyone gathering on our Sunday morning live platform, including those in watch parties, and hello to those watching or listening later on. We want to extend a special welcome to those of you joining us for the very first time. Hopefully, even online, you feel at home here. I'm going to run through some information that we share each week that will hopefully help you and everyone else know a little about what to expect as we gather and how to engage if you're on the live platform. First, if you or someone you know needs assistance or prayer or has any questions, we'd love to help any way that we can. Email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Second, we encourage you to check out the resources we have to go along with the message you're about to hear. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey or what age you are, there's something to keep you moving forward. A few I'll point out are the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, which you can sign up for on the Next Steps page of our website. There are wallpapers to remind you of the weekly application question and a message just for kids. Our Centerway kids get to learn from the same scriptures that you're about to hear, but with kid-friendly content. If you have kids in your home, discussing the application question as a family is a great way to grow and be on mission together. All the resources I just mentioned and more are available on our website. Now, if you'd like to share your info with us, to give, to take next steps, to find previous messages, share this message, or request prayer, you can do so on the live platform or on the website if you're watching or listening later. Now, we just celebrated our two-year anniversary, and we are so excited for what God has for us in year three. Now, you'll often hear us say that we get to do this, and we still believe that two years in. And we're so grateful that we get to steward what Jesus is building here and really glad that we get to do it together. Now, here's what to expect today. Ashley will be reading the scripture text for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible. And then you'll hear some ways to respond in worship. Immediately after the message, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Now, here's Ashley with a text for today. Good morning, Centerway Church. My name is Ashley, and today I will be reading the scripture. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him.
Good morning and welcome. My name is Claude. My wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church, and we're super excited that you have the opportunity to be with us. Uh, we're continuing in our brand new series called Questions and Answer, and this morning's message is actually entitled Immediately. Immediately. So questions and answer immediately. And uh, as I mentioned, we're in Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 20, as you just heard read. Um, there's a, a a show on television that um, has captured kind of my undivided attention of recent. It's called Alone, and um, it's on the History Channel. And it is a show, the premise is people have to survive entirely alone uh, in the wilderness. And they get dropped off by helicopter, by boat, and they are taught how to use their camera equipment and everything. And so they don't have a camera crew or anything, just a medical team that will check in on them periodically throughout the journey. They stay there and they survive as long as they can, entirely alone. And whoever stays alone the longest wins. And up until this past season, they'd win $500,000. This past season, it was a million dollar challenge for 100 days alone in the Arctic. It was unbelievable, incredible. It's just it's an interesting show, and um, and one of the things that I find most interesting about it is the journey. Like, it's this journey of people that when they're completely alone, they start to just um, focus so much on this prize in the beginning. It's like that's what they're completely infatuated with. Their entire mind is captured with it, and then as time goes on, all of a sudden, this $500,000 or a million dollar prize doesn't quite matter as much. It's like, as they're alone in the quietness and the stillness, on their own words, they'll say this, as I'm alone, I'm reflecting, and I'm realizing what really matters. It's like they come to the end of themselves in the wilderness, and they're literally, literally starving to death. It's unbelievable the, the process that their body goes through and the amount of weight they lose and what starts to happen mentally and physically as they're in this process of just trying to, in the beginning, cling to this hope of winning a prize. As time goes on, their priorities shift. All of a sudden, the thing that they said they were clinging to the most in the beginning and their mission was there to win, you know, to, to change the financial situation of their family, all of a sudden it gets renegotiated. And I used to think it was kind of a cop-out because it's like, you know, I'm staying here for a whole year. I've already prepared my family. And day 15, they're like tapping out. <laughs> but it caught my attention when people were there for 30, 40, 50 80 days and they're saying, you know what? Um, I think I've come out here for what I was searching for. I've proven something to myself and I'm done. It's like they went out into the wilderness searching for answers and whether or not they really found them, the fact is they've gotten to a place where they realize the things that matter most to them in that season of their life, they're apart from. And so they want to return and the prize is not significant enough to keep them there. It's just this amazing journey that entertains me on so many levels, and I won't get into it because obviously it's not the, the main point of why we're here today. But one thing that captures my attention all the time is they make these little things. Like some of them will make chess sets just to pass the time. It's like they want to check out with their brain or something. Some of them have made boats. They've made musical instruments, guitars, um, just little knickknacks, things like that. And they just cling on to these items. It's like they have value to them suddenly because they helped them through this alone phase in their life. I was most struck with season seven, this last season, where it's a million dollar challenge. This guy calls in and says, I'm done. He taps out. He 
uses his stat phone and says, hey, I'm out of here. And uh, as he's packing up his belongings in his shelter that he made, all of a sudden the wall catches on fire. And so he starts to quickly try to put it out and the fire continues to burn. And so he realizes quickly he's going to lose his shelter. And although it doesn't matter for the game at this point, all of his belongings are in there. And so he starts throwing his belongings out of his shelter and he's super selective about what matters to him. And so he's grabbing the things that matter and he's leaving like the camera equipment and stuff like that in there. And uh, as this thing starts to just get fully engulfed in flames, it was a spectacle. It was believable, unbelievable. All of a sudden you start to hear the explosions of batteries from camera equipment that he left in the fire. He couldn't get it out. And yet he hear these little knickknacks that he was certain to save. And then here's this moment, this moment that he moves towards the fire and reaches up and he grabs at the end of this post that was on the outside of his shelter, this feather. It's just a feather that he found somewhere along his journey and attached to a piece of leather or something. And it was on there. And he's literally in the face of this fire trying to fight with this thing to get it off. And he gets it. And he goes, oh, I got my feather. I got it. I got it. And I'm thinking, seriously, dude, like you risked your life for that. It's funny the the things that we cling to, right? And in certain moments, whether it's a knickknack or a memory or an item that we just become obsessed with, or if it's a mission that suddenly changes because of a new perspective. And so the question I want to ask you as we begin to move into the text this morning is this, why do we cling to certain things? Why do we cling to certain things? Now, you might be tempted to answer this question quickly with the obvious answers. You know, well, we cling to things because we like that thing, whatever it is. You know, the dude likes his feather. Get off his back. Like, that's what it is. Is it that simple? Or maybe it's because that thing has sentimental value, right? There's memories attached to it, as I mentioned. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with having memories attached to things. I mean, memories are precious things. Now, although all of that may be very true, I want to challenge you to actually think a little deeper this morning. I want you to consider the root issue here that's facing all of humanity. Now, I know that sounds kind of like a lofty claim, but the truth is you'll come in contact with people and maybe you even are a person that will say very quickly, I'm not sentimental. I don't care. I don't care about things. And yet when push comes to shove, we all cling to certain things. Now, like I said, you, you might say, no, not me. Like, Claude, I'm not kidding around. Like, I'm just not sentimental. Stuff is just that. It's stuff. I don't care. They're inanimate objects. They have no value to me. The memories are in my heart or in my mind. And again, think deeper for a moment. I don't mean simply stuff. You see, we're in a season right now where we see people clinging to their rights. They have rights. And they're clinging to those things and they're letting you know about their rights. We're in a, a season right now where people are, are clinging to their ethnicity. They're, they're clinging to their socioeconomic status, whatever that might be. And even clinging to their political party. And I'm sure that that'll only ramp up more as we head into November. Now, are any of those things bad things? No. People gave their life so that we can have the rights that we have in America. Like, you worked hard for your socioeconomic status. Your ethnicity is, is where you find part of your identity and your upbringing. These, these are all good things, but they are really poor masters. A good thing becomes destructive when it becomes a primary thing. So listen, it may, it may not be a tangible item, but we as humans cling 
to certain things. We do it. We cling to things. Why? Why? I want to submit to you that we cling to certain things for control. Yikes. Doesn't sound so nice, right? You're a control freak. (laughs) Here's the thing. It's not a fun topic to talk about, but we're all in it together. We, we want to control the narrative that is our life. And most of our control is geared around our own comfort. Think about that for a second. That's why we, we cling to whether it be a political party or whatever the, the thing might be or a certain item or a specific sense or an idea even clinging to, to the way you want things to work out, your expectations. Why is that? It's because you want to control the narrative that is your life. And most of that control is around comfort. Yay. <laughs> That's not fun to talk about. It's not a popular topic. Let's talk about how you and I, we like to control things. Why? Because we're kind of comfort hogs. Because really, our life is all about us. It's not a great, fun message because it resonates. It's too close to true. You see, in order to find the answer, which ultimately brings the peace that we're seeking for, we have to be honest. No matter how messy, we have to be honest about the control and the questions we struggle with. So let's look at this morning's pericope or section of scripture as we dive into this topic. Verse 12 of chapter 1 of Mark says this. We see Jesus has just been water baptized and it says the spirit immediately drove him, meaning Jesus, out into the wilderness. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Immediately. So we see this this proclamation that Jesus is in fact the son of God in the verses prior. And the immediate action is to go into the wilderness. Now, we learned last week that the wilderness is uh, here in context. Doesn't mean like a forest, not even like the forest that uh, the people on alone are dealing with. It's kind of teeming with wildlife and, and water and resources. No, it's a desolate place. It's a desert place. It's a place where one faces deep hunger, deep hunger, and even death, complete isolation, It's a place where people come to the end of themselves. It's a place of dependency on God simply because there's no other option. It's an acknowledgement of our own inadequacies and and our ability to, to control or to comfort ourselves or survive even in our circumstances and situation, the desert. And so we learn that it's often in the wilderness that we meet God. Now, make no mistake, it's not because God is like masochistically waiting for the the most painful moments of our lives and, uh, you know, rubbing his hands together and being like, oh, good, finally, it's painful enough to where they're going to find me where I'm waiting in the desert. No, it's not that he wants us to walk through the desert seasons of our life or somehow enjoying our pain. It's rather on us. You see, The reason why God can be found in the wilderness is because we often ignore him when we're not in the wilderness. It's not that he's in the wilderness waiting. It's that he's never left us or forsaken us. But when we're outside of the wilderness, we're seeking our own comfort and our own control and the desires of our heart and the things that we're searching after. They're so loud that we simply don't acknowledge his presence. So it often takes the desert 
or the wilderness seasons of our lives for us to realize that the things we cling to aren't actually the answers we're looking for. They don't offer us anything. So you may be tempted to conclude, okay, well, then all we need is a a difficult season to acknowledge finally that God has always been present. Well, although that may be true for some, there's another reality attached to the desert seasons of our lives. So let's read on and understand that. Verse 13 says this, And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So we see clearly that God is present in the wilderness, and even the angels were ministering to him. It's not that Jesus is forsaken or alone in the, in the wilderness at all. God is present. But what else is present? You see, some of the greatest temptations and spiritual attacks will take place during the desert seasons of our lives. We have to realize that in those darkest, deepest, painful moments, it's not like, we, like we're in this, this desert place of isolation, facing death and, and, and going, you know what? Honey, you know, this, this is painful, right? And uh, actually, I am crying. And, you know, as I sit here with this pain, I realize God is present. So, amen. Praise the Lord. That's why we're going through this. No, like, that would be absurd. And if you know someone like that, then they're probably misrepresenting God. It's not that we go through these painful seasons in order to just enjoy the fact that God will be present. No, it's in those moments that we face this deep awareness of the temptation to pursue something else. You see, it's in these seasons that we question everything. If you've ever been in a, a desert season of your life, and you know what I'm talking about if, if you're there, maybe some of you are there right now, you get kind of to the end of yourself and, and you're really faced with two things. You either rely on God or you question everything. You shake your fist at even God himself. You question why you have to go through this and, and the pain of it. You see, we often pursue anything in the desert seasons of our life that seem to offer some form of comfort or control. It comes back to that. We're just trying to cling on to something to get us through this season to make sense of it all. And so is God present? Yes. And sometimes we can have the most intimate of moments with the Lord in those desert deep places. But we also face temptation as Jesus did. You see, Mark's point is that Jesus' struggle was a spiritual one. He was never there to conquer Rome, right? If if Jesus' mission was to come to earth and to conquer Rome, which a lot of Jewish people that were struggling with whether or not Jesus was in fact the Messiah, you see, the reason they were struggling with it is because in their mind, the way the Messiah works is he comes, uh, you know, blazing over all of the existing kingdoms and overthrows Rome and destroys them. And all of a sudden, all of the Jewish people take their rightful place on the throne. And so from their perspective, Jesus could not have been the Messiah. And Mark is letting them know, listen, this journey is a spiritual journey. It's not about the overthrow of Rome. He's not doing like a Rocky Balboa thing in the middle of the desert. You know, it doesn't say, and there he trained for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus is going to overthrow all of the Caesars. No, that doesn't happen. 
His temptation, his issue, his struggle, it's a spiritual one. So get this. If you are not clear about your mission, you'll be tempted to go off mission in the desert seasons of your life. What or who are you clinging to? See, Jesus knew his mission. He knew why he was there. And so although temptation came, he had an encounter with God. He leaned in. Are you one to lean in and to pursue God in the desert seasons of your life? Or are you looking for just comfort, some form of control? What are you clinging to? Or who are you clinging to? Jesus knew his mission. And now for the first time, we hear his voice in the following verses. Verses 14 and 15 say this. It says, now after John, referring to John the Baptist, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, and here it is, the voice of Jesus, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. At hand. It, it meant literally that has drawn near. It has arrived. The kingdom of God has begun, is what Jesus is declaring. And the first thing he says as a command is repent. Turn away from your sin. Repent literally means that instead of pursuing the created things of this earth, turn and move towards the creator. Repent. Change direction. Believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel means dependency on God. And what's interesting is it's almost redundant. Like to repent means to turn your back on the created towards the creator. It means to have dependency on God. It means to believe. But he's saying and believe. So have dependency on God. You can't have one without the other. Now, there's something that you might miss as we read through this verse. You might just kind of breeze over it. And it's because in our culture, gospel is typically affiliated or associated with the church. And so when we hear the idea of gospel, we automatically assume that he's talking about what we would refer to as the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. In fact, even a genre of music exists, gospel music, right? So we've kind of turned it into a spiritual term, but it was not a spiritual term at the time that Jesus used it. So get this, in that society, the Greek word for gospel simply means good news, good news. And so he's saying he's here to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news, in the good news. The gospel of God. That's why he says it in the beginning part of that verse. So the Greek word would typically be associated with an announcement being made. Historically, though, uh, where the word actually originated from was associated directly to battle. So the Greeks would, uh, if they would win a battle, then they'd send out heralds. And these heralds or runners would go carrying the good news. So if they, were, if they had won the battle, then they're going carrying good news. They're carrying the gospel. And they were called a Greek word, which actually translates evangelists. So these people that were carrying the good news, that were carrying the gospel, were evangelists sent out to proclaim the good news and to evangelize to the people. Don't miss this because historically, a gospel was something that happened in history 
that changed people's status. So the victory was won. Send the evangelists out to tell the entire country that we are free because of our victory. Go tell the good news. And they would run. So, religions of the world say, do this. All of the religions of the world, you can investigate them and explore them if you want. And I challenge you to do so. As you're seeking for answers, I want to let you know that the religions of the world say, do this. You do this. And if you do it, you'll change your status. If you do it well, you've got a shot at possibly changing something. But only Christianity, only the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ says it has been done for you. It's been done for you. You see, because Jesus lived the life that you and I cannot live and died the death that we deserve and rose again for you and for me, it's because of that, because he won the spiritual battle that he was sent to fight. Your status and my status is forever changed. That's good news. It's good news and we need to share that amazing news. We must go and evangelize. We must proclaim the good news that has set us free. You see, what Jesus is saying here is extremely powerful. And Mark says it in a culture that would understand entirely what he means. But we don't often proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is that? We get off mission. And why do we get off mission? Well, because we cling to lesser things. Because we think that this life is about our comfort. And so we do the best we can to control the narrative that is our life, to instill the comfort that we desire. We get entirely off mission. And in the desert seasons of our life, we lean in for more comfort and more control, all the time missing that the answer is right before us. Is that just the reality of things? Like, this is what we do. We're human, we're broken, we're doomed. Gosh, I hope not. Let's read on and get a little more clarity to some of the hope that exists. I'm going to read a, a chunk of the rest of the text because it kind of tells a narrative that I think is important for us to hear all of. Verse 16 on through verse 20 says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, meaning Jesus, we see that Jesus is going to call the first disciples here. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become or be in process of fishers to become fishers of men. And it's important that we understand that it's a, a process. It's not like we all of a sudden just become followers of Jesus. They were becoming followers. So they're learning to follow Jesus. Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 19, and going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Immediately. Now, you might not realize this, but it's being very uh, 
kind of disruptive. Jesus is being extremely disruptive to cultural norms here. We see two things happen immediately in verse 18 and verse 20. Immediately in in verse 18, we see that um, they decide to follow Jesus. Immediately they follow him. And in verse 20, it reiterates that immediately Jesus called them. And so we see the immediacy of the calling and we see the immediacy of the response. But something disruptive is happening. The first thing is rabbis didn't call disciples in that culture. Like it did not happen. It's not like, well, sometimes or unheard of. Disciples would go and pursue specific rabbis and then the rabbis would evaluate whether or not they had the status necessary to become their followers. It was a process. If Jesus was concerned about finding the sharpest uh, Jewish theological brainiacs, if you will, of the day, then he would have gone to an entirely different place and would have done some teaching and then they would have requested to follow him. He doesn't go through the normal channels. No, Jesus goes and pursues his disciples, imperfect fishermen, average people, come and follow me. Secondly, in that culture, family was absolutely everything. We talked about this more last week, but it was unheard of and even blasphemy in the Jewish culture to challenge someone to leave their family, especially in front of their father. Literally unheard of. It was not done. And yet he challenges them and says, follow me. They drop everything and go. Extremely disruptive. What what happened in the life of Jesus is not just out of the ordinary. It's unheard of. (coughs) Excuse me. And disruptive at best. Verse 18, immediately they left their nets. Verse 20, immediately he called them. Both the calling and the response, as I said. These are very, very normal human beings. And yet, the thing that is surprising, they have no questions. Isn't that interesting? That that blows my mind. It blows my mind because I would have some questions. I mean, admittedly, I'd probably have more questions than the average person, but the average person would at least be like, so what time are we coming back? Do I have to bring a lunch? (laughs) Uh, For how long are we going? Where exactly are we headed? Should I bring a pillow or a blanket or something? You know, like absolutely anything in the normal rhythms of life. Like, no, they just, they just dropped everything. They dropped their livelihood. Think about that. A culture where their father was fisherman, their father's father were fishermen, their father's father's father, you know, and the list goes on. Like you lived, you were born, you lived, and you died in these communities in this community. And what you did is what you did. And they drop it. They follow him without question. There's only one reason why people don't ask questions. It's only when they're not necessary. The only time you don't have a question is when you know the answer. So I want to tell you that no one looks or asks for questions when they finally find the answer. I want to submit to you that these four men, young men, were face to face with the answer to all of the questions they had asked their entire lives. 
And so immediately they followed him. Immediately they followed him. Jesus is saying to you today, follow me, follow me. And you might, you might say in, you know, Christianese, like, oh, well, I am a follower of Jesus. Like, hmm, are you? Are you in the sense that whatever it is that he's asking you to do, do you take immediate action without any hesitation? Are you living on mission? Or are you a person that's so busy with the rhythms and the, and the chaos of life that, that Christianity has become part of your everyday life? Are you really following him? Because Jesus is saying, follow me. And if your heart says, I'll follow you if, and something's wrong. If what? I'll follow you, Jesus, if I'm healthy. I mean, here's the deal. If, if I just know that I can be healthy, God, if you get me through this, I'll, I'll serve you all the days of my life. Can't tell you how many times I've been in the presence of people bargaining with God as if that even makes sense. Can you imagine if you have a child? I can't imagine a world where my child would try to bargain for my affection. And yet we do that with God at times in our darkest moments of need. God, if this, then... I'll follow you, Jesus, if I'm never alone. If my life works out the way I want it to, I'll follow you. If you meet all of my expectations as to how this should work out, I'll follow you. Jesus, I'll follow you as long as it doesn't get too hard. I'll follow you if I don't need to deny myself. And we get to some really straightforward things that Jesus clarifies in a rather radical way. That if, whatever it is this morning or whenever you're listening or watching this, that if is your real master. That's the thing that you're clinging to. It or they, it's what you're clinging to to try to find control or comfort so the question is, who or what is my master? Have you made comfort the master of your life? Have you made a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a spouse or your children, the master of your life? Are they the thing that you cling to for your identity? What's your master? You see, the call and the response are immediate if you really understand what actually matters. If you really understand the gravity of the moment that you've, that the thing that you are looking for, the very answer that you've been seeking for, the God-shaped hole in your life that you've tried to put everything in is right before you. If you've come to the end of yourself, then the answer is immediate. Have you come to the end of yourself yet? Have you tried to work things out? Have you, have you gotten enough money to realize that money's not the answer? Have you had enough broken relationships to finally realize that relationships are never going to be where you actually find love? 
I could go on with all the lists of all the examples of the things that we try to cling onto, whether they're physical things or concepts. Trying to bring comfort and control to our lives only to have it run through our fingers like sand. You see, human history is cyclical. Someone that doesn't even believe in God will say history repeats itself. It's a cycle. It's an endless cycle of sin, suffering, and death. That's just the reality of it. It sounds like a sad and terrible story. And oftentimes it is. But redemptive history is linear. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And get this. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's begun. It's begun. The redemptive narrative that Jesus has woven right through the center of the pain and suffering of all human history began as Jesus became human and entered the earth. He started his mission. And here we are some 2,000 years later in the midst of the journey and we think that the cycle of history is all that matters. And we live for these hundred years and yet eternity is so much longer. And the narrative that God is writing in and through your life, it's bigger than the stuff that you're trying to grab for. It's spiritual. What are you giving your one and only life to? What master are you serving? Will you follow Jesus? I mean, really follow him? Allow him to disrupt the priorities of your life, to change the way you deal with your time, the way you deal with your your, your treasure, your talents. Are you allowing Jesus to really disrupt your life? Because he is the answer to all of your questions. We say every week that the text requires something of us. This week is obviously no different. And the question I want to ask you is I've already asked several. I want you to consider this one as we conclude our time together. Where is God asking me to act immediately? Where is God asking me to act immediately? For some of you, it's in the area of surrender. You've been trying to live your own life. And you want to be the leader in the center of your life. And you're doing everything that I'm talking about. You're trying to control and you're seeking comfort. And I want to challenge you that maybe your action this morning is to surrender your one and only life to him. Allow Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. If that's you, it's as simple as praying a prayer. Right now in the quietness of wherever you find yourself, you can pray a prayer that says, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I know that you died for my sins. Would you forgive me and be the Lord and leader of my life? It's that simple. If you pray that prayer or you'd like to pray that prayer and you have any questions about next steps, if you're joining us live, I encourage you to to select the uh, request prayer button and you'll go into a private chat with one of our hosts and they'll tell you about our next steps, some advice that we can give you as you continue to move forward in your relationship with God. If you're listening to this later, you can always reach out by emailing us or going to our website in the next steps page. We'd love to hear from you. For others of you this morning, maybe you have already made that decision to surrender your life, but you've never gone public with that decision. Maybe it's time to act on that and be water baptized. If you'd like to be water baptized, you can sign up at our website in the Next Steps page. We'd love to be in touch. So I want to challenge you, take action. 
on what it is that God's calling you to do. Act immediately. Maybe it's to, to be one-on-one discipled. We have a one-on-one discipleship process. It's eight weeks long. It's called learning to follow Jesus, ironically and interestingly enough. If you'd like to learn to follow Jesus with a spiritual coach, there's business coaches and financial coaches and physical coaches, and we think there should be spiritual coaches. If you'd like that, you can sign up on our website as well. I want to encourage you to look at the Next Steps page. Consider what you might be called to act on immediately. Maybe you've taken all those steps this morning. Maybe what you need to act on is the spiritual conversation that God's calling you to. Maybe there's a friend or a family member, someone in your sphere of influence, and it's, it's time to, to not simply believe that they're going to pick up on the fact that you're a Christian. Imagine if Jesus just lived his life assuming everyone would just get that he's the son of God. <laughs> he had to act. There were words that he had to say. There were deciding moments, and we'll hear about all of those. But I want to challenge you to live your life more actively and less passively. Maybe there's a spiritual conversation, or maybe it's just time to be more missional in some area of your life. I don't know what it is, but I know that the Spirit of God is faithful to reveal that to you. In fact, let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We're grateful that you don't leave us in the wilderness. We're also grateful that we don't need wilderness moments to sense your presence, that you never leave us or forsake us. God, we're thankful that you chose to step into human time, to human history, to redeem what it is that we could not redeem ourselves. And so, Father, with a grateful heart, we just ask that you would reveal to us what it is that you would have us do, the thing that you want us to act on, Lord, I pray that we would have um, the, in, the courage and the motivation to take the action that you're calling us to take for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue the series next week. You won't want to miss it. Excited to be with you then. God bless. Hi, Centerway. I'm Meredith. Thanks for joining us this morning. We like to take this time after the message to remind you that there are many ways to respond to the scripture text and many ways to worship this week as you consider what God is asking you to do immediately. As you do that this week, be sure that you're going to be faced with lies that you'll need to replace with truth. Be sure that your obedience may cost something or make you uncomfortable, but I promise it will be worth it. And I want to encourage you to keep an eternal perspective and remember that your obedience is worship. Another way that you can worship and worship with others is through singing, which we're about to do if you're with us live. If you're watching or listening to the message later, you can find the songs we're about to sing on Spotify. Just search Centerway Church and look for our questions and answer playlist. But for those of us gathered on the live platform, we'll see you on Facebook or Instagram in just a few minutes.